Do you ever feel overwhelmed with the number of tasks you have to do with writing, publishing, and marketing your books? Well, the more successful you become as an author, the more demands you will get added to your time. So if you're not overwhelmed now, you will be. <laughs> and these demands pull you away from your writing. As my dad says, only do what only you can do. Delegate the rest. You're the only person who can write your books. So why spend most of your time doing things someone else can do? In this episode, we're going to talk about how to find and how to delegate work to a virtual assistant. This may be just the thing you need to learn to dramatically increase your output as a writer. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. So why work with a virtual assistant? There's a reason most successful authors have at least one assistant, and these days most of those assistants work remotely. This was popular before the pandemic. Authors have been working with virtual assistants who live far away, sometimes very far away, for decades. This is not a new thing. It's just recently become very popular. Working with a virtual assistant or VA does not mean that you're working with a robot. It means that you're working with a real-life human who works for you remotely and for only as much time as you need. So you're not hiring a full-time assistant. Some VAs only work for an hour or two every week. Your weaknesses are somebody else's strengths. And as you become more successful as an author, you'll have more money coming in. So why not use some of that money to turn your weaknesses into somebody else's strengths by growing your team and handing off the parts of your job you enjoy the least. By spending less time in areas of your weakness and more time in areas of your strength, you'll be happier, more fulfilled, and more productive. In other words, you'll be making more money overall paying a virtual assistant than you will not paying a virtual assistant. There's more fruit in half of a watermelon than there is in all of a grape. And your weaknesses are holding you back. So why spend the time and money trying to turn your weaknesses into strengths when you can just work with others? This is how society works. This is how the economy works. This is why we're no longer starving as a race. We starved for thousands of years. And now we don't. Why? Because some people, all they do is farm and other people don't grow a single crop their entire lives. <laughs> this is a beautiful thing. Uh, and one I shouldn't have to explain, but I feel like these days, sometimes a little bit of economics explanation is beneficial. When you create a job for somebody who can't do what you do, you're creating a job that didn't exist before. And you're the only one in the world who can write your books. And so when you don't delegate a task that you could afford to delegate, you're taking a job away from somebody who can't do what you can do. And you're spending less time writing your books. This makes the world worse off. So make the world a better place. Yes, this can mean hiring somebody to help clean your house, but there's so much more you can do. And that's with working with a virtual assistant, specifically helping you with the professional aspects of your life. So I'm going to talk here in a second about how to hire a virtual assistant, but first I want to talk about the different kinds of virtual assistant, because you may be like, yeah, but I don't have anything that I can delegate. Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's go through them and see. Uh, most authors only have one or two VAs. It's almost unheard of for somebody to have all seven of these, so don't feel like, oh my gosh, I need to find seven virtual assistants. No, you find one virtual assistant who is primarily in one of these areas, and you may give them some tasks from some of the other 
areas. Uh, you want to hire a VA whose strengths line up with your weaknesses. I, I'll, I'll, I've said it before and I'll keep saying it because this is the power principle of today's episode. Uh, you can be in strengths all the way across the board by working with others. So the first kind of virtual assistant is an administrative assistant. And this person's primary job is to protect you from distractions so you can focus on your writing. Now they do this by reading and responding to emails. So they're kind of a first line of defense in your inbox. They schedule meetings and Zoom calls. They help book travel. They respond to media requests. They keep up with your bookkeeping, things like that, administrative type tasks. So what do you look for in an administrative assistant? You want somebody who's friendly and confident. You want somebody who's able to give a no to people who are trying to waste your time without being rude, but they do need to be able to give a firm no. You need somebody who's organized and you want somebody who's a tech savvy and quick learner. You want somebody who can pick up the pace really quickly. Although I'll say the tech savviness is probably the least important aspect. What's really important, what you're really hiring an administrative assistant for is their organized nature and their personable personality. <laughs> so not all of these administrative assistant roles need somebody who is good with people. Some of them could be total jerks and no one cares. All right, the second kind of administrative assistant is a publishing assistant. This kind of VA is generally only needed by indie authors and they help you publish your books and manage your backlist, especially for indie authors who've got a dozen or more books. There are a lot of publishing kind of admin type tasks that can really distract them from their writing and they're really easily delegated to a publishing assistant. So publishing assistants format your files into the correct format. So you write the book, you hand it to them and they do your typesetting. They coordinate and communicate with your editors. They coordinate and communicate with designers. They coordinate and communicate with your beta readers. <laughs> they follow up on endorsements. They submit your book for copyright. They go through the steps of getting the book on Amazon and other booksellers and they help manage your metadata. So what do you look for in a publishing assistant? Well, the main thing I would look for is a fellow indie author. There are a lot of indie authors who know the blocking and tackling of the publishing process. They know how to deal with designers and beta readers. They know how the copyright system works, but they haven't, for whatever reason, written their hit yet. And so they're looking for some money on the side. They're very happy to work with fellow authors, or maybe they want to learn from you. Other authors are a really good place to go for this kind of publishing assistant role. If you hire somebody who already has a book that they published themselves, you may not even need to train them. Uh, you want somebody who's organized and ideally somebody who's gone through the process before. Like I said, indie author is the best way to go. Uh, the next kind of assistant is a marketing assistant. This person helps you get more sales by updating your website, managing Amazon, BookBub, Facebook ad campaigns. Uh, often you're the one who sets it up initially, but the VA will be the one to maintain it. Sometimes the VA will create it and maintain it. But uh, checking in and making sure the numbers are right, that can be very time consuming, but it's not very complicated. It's a really great delegatable task. Uh, submitting your book to BookBub at the maximum frequency. If all you do is hire a VA who submits your book to BookBub every 30 days, that alone could make a huge difference in how much money you make. Because how often you get featured as a BookBub featured deal is directly related to how often you pitch your book to BookBub. You can't do it any more quickly than every 30 days, but a lot of authors will go months without submitting their book to BookBub. They think they were rejected because BookBub didn't like their book, when in reality, BookBub was just full that week. Also, drafting email newsletters or helping edit your email newsletters is another thing a marketing assistant will do. Uh, reaching out to podcasters, bloggers, and media outlets to have you on as a guest. It's a very common task. Somebody will hire a VA. They'll have their VA go through our podcast host directory at authormedia.com 
and go through our training, actually. So I have people who buy my course, How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest, just so their VA can go through it. <laughs> the VA does all of the work. I'm totally fine with that. Posting to social media. If you're doing social media, a lot of people have their virtual assistant post all of their posts to social media. In fact, a lot of the popular authors who look like they're very active on social media, in reality, they're not doing the social media themselves. Or they're only responding to fans on social media, the actual posts, the memes and the images that are created, they're all done by virtual assistant behind the scenes. Drafting blog posts, sometimes VAs will help with that. Or finding images for a blog post. Coordinating book launch details and managing the launch team. All of these things are things that can be delegated to a marketing assistant. So what do you look for in a marketing assistant? A quick learner is really important. And I would say the second most important thing is that they're a listener to the Novel Marketing Podcast. We have over 250 episodes on this podcast with incredible training on how to do every single one of these things. And if somebody is the kind of person who on their own free time is choosing to listen to this podcast, they're likely going to be the kind of person who's going to do a good job as a marketing assistant. You don't want somebody who's been keeping their head down the whole time and trying to avoid any knowledge of marketing. That's not the kind of person you want to hire. You also don't want somebody who insists on learning everything the hard way. If they're not reading books and listening to podcasts on marketing, don't hire them because you don't want them to learn things the hard way with your money. All right, the next kind of VA is a research assistant. This kind of VA generally only works with authors writing nonfiction or very research-heavy nonfiction, and a research assistant helps you look smart by helping you keep your facts straight. So they do this by uh, conducting original research, analyzing data, organizing your existing research. So you may have brought in a bunch of research and then you have to comb through it. Like for my book, I wrote a nonfiction book and I did a survey of people who were affected by my topic and I had 500 pages of survey responses of people's paragraph narrative stories and we had to follow up with some of those people and we worked some of those uh, stories into the nonfiction book and it was a lot of work and I had a lot of people helping me with that comb through all of that research. Uh, another thing research assistants do may transcribe and catalog interviews. If you're doing uh, interviews, you know, original research with subjects, you may sit down with a, a recorder running on your iPhone, then you forward that recorder on to your uh, VA who will run it through a transcription program, either on their computer or online, and then they'll take that uh, AI transcription and then humanize it. And then organize it for you so you can find what you're looking for from the transcript. This is the sort of thing that's really easily delegatable, and it can take a lot of labor if you do it yourself. Uh, they also can fact check your writing and you know help you with the work cited and notes, etc. So, what do you look for in a research assistant? You want a nerd, specifically a nerd on your topic. Somebody who's good with spreadsheets, and you know, depending on the kind of research that you're doing, and very organized. So, uh, it's not necessary that this research assistant be good with people <laughs> because they're just working with research. Uh, in fact, I'd rather have a research assistant who's really good with spreadsheets and not good with people than a research assistant who's good with people and not good with spreadsheets. Uh, one other thing I'd say to look for in a research assistant is somebody who's very detail-oriented. They really catch those details. There's a certain kind of person who catches the details, and that's the kind of person you want watching your back when it comes to your facts and your figures. Uh, the next kind of VA is a writing assistant. So a writing assistant is like a research assistant, but for a novelist. So, like I said, you're not going to hire all seven of these assistants. A writing assistant helps you by drafting chapters of your book based off of transcriptions of your audio recordings. And believe it or not, this technique of writing books where somebody just dictates the book has been going on for hundreds of years. There were authors back in the 19th century who would dictate 
their books verbally to a secretary who would write them down in shorthand, which is a special kind of writing that uh, pre-existed typewriters. In fact, it goes back thousands of years. It's a very efficient form of writing. It's kind of a cryptographic form of writing. And then they would take that shorthand and convert it into English, and they would be able to just dictate their book. And some of the really prolific authors of the 19th century, like G.A. Henty, that's how he wrote all of his books. So you're like, how did this guy write hundreds of books before the typewriter, right when the typewriter was just emerging? Well, he did it by dictation. Now dictating is a lot easier, right? You can dictate to artificial intelligence programs. In fact, if you have a Mac, you can do it for free. You don't even have to pay for anything. You just click transcribe right there in Pages or in Microsoft Word, and you talk into your microphone. It's really very easy. But then you need a human to go through that and kind of massage it and, and fix the obvious things that are wrong. That's something that a writing assistant can help you with. Another thing that a lot of writing assistants do is they edit your writing and get it ready for beta readers. So this doesn't replace the need for an editor, but it helps kind of before you show it to an editor. So uh, authors who work with a writing assistant, they'll do a draft, then they may do a second draft, then they'll give it to their writing assistant to do a quick edit, and then they give it to their beta readers, and then they give it to their three editors. Sometimes the writing assistant's in there even earlier if they're working with transcriptions. Another thing a writing assistant helps with is they help keep track of story continuity. They do this by maintaining your story, character, and location bible. For a lot of fantasy and sci-fi authors, their worlds get so complicated, they need a writing assistant just to keep track of their world and make sure that they get all the facts straight, right? If this alien race is allergic to water in book one, you can't have them swimming in the water in book three, right? You're Readers will notice that, but you might have overlooked it if you're not careful, especially if your world is really complicated. Some of the top sci-fi and fantasy authors will have multiple writing assistants just managing their world, kind of keeping everything straight, trying to keep everything nice and continuous, where there's no world-breaking rule changes halfway through a story. And then another thing your writing assistant does is they provide another set of proofreading eyes. But let me say this again. Writing assistants do not replace the need for editors. <laughs> you need an editor whether or not you're working with a writing assistant. So what do you look for in a writing assistant? Uh, the number one thing I would look for is they need to be an avid reader in your genre, and they need to be a fan of your previous books. Ideally, they're a fan of your previous books, especially if you're having them help you with continuity. They need to be somebody who's really read and really dug into your previous books. That's not a requirement, but they do need to be very familiar with the kind of book you're trying to write. If you're trying to write a space opera and your writing assistant comes from the romance world, that assistant's going to be giving you bad advice <laughs> not helping you make the kind of book that space opera readers want to read. The next VA is what I call a media assistant. So if you're a content creator where you're making videos or podcasts, a media assistant helps you make better content. And they tend to come in one of two flavors, producer and editor. So let's go through both of those. A producer identifies show topics and potential guests, generates interview questions, schedules guest interviews, drafts show notes, publishes the episodes in your podcasting platform, and follows up with guests and helps answer any guest questions. So really acts as an interface for the outside world. So really all you have to do is sit down in front of the microphone and click record. So what do you want in a producer? You want somebody who's friendly and organized, but one of the unique things to a producer is you need somebody who's not dazzled 
by celebrity. You need somebody who can say no to a very famous person or tell that very famous person that they really do need to come at 2 o'clock on Thursday or, yes, they really do need to have a real microphone. The higher status somebody is, the more they don't want the rules to apply to them, and you need somebody who is not going to take that (laughs) but still is able to be friendly and organized. So that's the producer. Now let's talk about the editor. The editor works with the more technical aspects of your podcast. Editing the audio files, or if you have a YouTube channel, editing the video. So you shoot your video, the editor will help edit that into a you know tightly edited, entertaining presentation for YouTube. Uh, the editor often will create the video thumbnail or episode image. Sometimes the producer will do that. And the editor also advises you on how to have better audio and video. And sometimes the editor will sit in the room where you're recording virtually. So you invite the guest to your Zoom channel. You'll also have the editor come on to advise on audio issues. And only kind of high level podcasts do this or uh, authors who are really, really not tech savvy and they need an editor to help troubleshoot things. You know, if somebody's microphone isn't being picked up in Zoom or in Squadcast or whatever you're recording in, if you don't know how to have the guest troubleshoot that, the editor might help you do that. And in this case, they're acting kind of more like an audio engineer role. So what do you look for? in an editor. Well, this may seem silly, but one of the best ways you can tell a good editor is how good their headphones are. A good editor is gonna have a pair of expensive studio monitor headphones because they need to be able to hear every little detail. And the ones who are hobbyists won't have good headphones and the ones that are for real will. This is kind of a cheat. It's kind of like, how do you tell the quality of a vacuum cleaner? It's like by how long the cord is, right? the vacuums that are meant to last in big uh, hotel rooms and big office spaces and are really robust have really long cords, whereas the ones that are only meant to last for you know, a handful of hours in somebody's home have really short cords. The cord doesn't make the vacuum cleaner better. It just is something that good vacuum cleaners tend to have, and expensive studio monitor headphones are something that good editors tend to have. The other thing I would look for in an editor VA is somebody who has the right software. So I recommend Hindenburg Journalist or Hindenburg Journalist Pro for audio editing and either Adobe Premiere or Camtasia for video editing. Don't hire a VA who's using free software like Audacity or GarageBand or iMovie. These tools cause them to work more slowly. (laughs) They will cost you more time while producing an inferior product. You want to work with a VA who's already invested not just the money in getting the right software, but also the time in mastering it, because that's really what you're paying for. Which is another thing to look for. Look for somebody who's had editing training, either professional editing training or a lot of experience editing using the software that they're using. And I'll say, this is not a public-facing role. They don't need to be friendly. I had an editor once working with me who was not friendly at all, and he did great work. (laughs) He's not working for me anymore. But his skills did not require him to be a friendly person. And often when you hear people talk about hiring, they're always talking about friendly, 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 and there's a bias towards hiring extroverts. And I found that introverts often are just as good, if not better, at certain roles than extroverts. And this emphasis that everyone has to be outgoing and friendly is a really unfair bias, in my opinion. Some jobs, you really need somebody who enjoys and likes people, but not in every job. And if all you're doing is working with some technical skill, the friendliness is less needed. All right, the final form of virtual assistant, our seventh VA, is a literary agent. So even if you're independently published, you may need a literary agent to help you interface with large and powerful 
institutions. Yes, 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 I know. Literary agents aren't technically virtual assistants because you don't technically pay them directly. But they do work remotely, and they do make money when you do, so they work for you. (laughs) So in a sense, a literary agent is a virtual assistant who helps you by representing you to foreign rights buyers. If somebody wants to reprint your book in Japan, negotiating that requires a lot of skill. It's good to have somebody who can do that to you. Uh, Representing you to Hollywood. People in Hollywood are snakes, and if you're not careful, they will eat you for dinner. (laughs) Hollywood has a terrible reputation for taking advantage of people who don't know how to interact with them. And so you gotta be really careful dealing with Hollywood. You've gotta pay for protection, and your agent is your protection. Uh, Representing you to subsidiary rights buyers, if somebody wants to make some derivative work off of your book, you may have no idea how to negotiate that. Well, literary agent will help you with that, even if you're independently published. All three of these things I've talked about, Hollywood, foreign rights, and subsidiary rights, are all things a literary agent will do, even for an indie author. And then, yes, if you're being traditionally published, a literary agent will also represent you to publishing houses. And we have several episodes on how to work with and find a literary agent. We have episode 32, What is a Literary Agent and Do You Still Need One? Episode 82, How to Get a Literary Agent. And episode 83, How to Get a Literary Agent with Rochelle Gardner, who is a literary agent. So we have some several really good episodes on that. I also talk about this more on my other podcast, Christian Publishing Show. So we've talked about the different kinds of virtual assistants. There's more than that, but those are the big kind of general categories. So Hopefully, as I was going through that list, you're like, oh, this one. I really need help with this one. I really want a marketing assistant. I really want a publishing assistant to help me navigate this publishing world. So where do you find a virtual assistant? Well, one place is the Novel Marketing Facebook group. Fellow authors make for great virtual assistants. In fact, I would say they make for better VAs than non-authors because they're already more familiar with your industry and they're familiar with your needs as a fellow author. I really want to encourage more authors to hire each other as virtual assistants and work with each other as virtual assistants. If you're just getting started in this business, working for a more established author as a VA is a great way to learn and make money. And you're coming to the table already with more knowledge because you listen to these podcasts and because you're already going through the process yourself. Uh, The authors who listen to this podcast are savvier than the average author, if for no other reason than that because I debunk a lot of myths on this show. So if you're listening to the show for any length of time, you're getting a lot of the bad advice that circulates the author world out of your head. And over the last seven years, we've provided very comprehensive training on pretty much every aspect that we've talked about. We haven't talked about like podcast editing per se, um, but almost every other area, we've really gone into a lot of depth. And the last time I hired a VA, I only promoted the position by announcing it on this podcast. And the biggest challenge I had was picking between all of the amazing candidates because I was blown away with the quality of the candidates. So I encourage you to go to the Novel Marketing Facebook group. We also have a MeWe group now. I'm uh, setting up MeWe because I know a lot of people are moving away from Facebook. So there's a Novel Marketing MeWe group and you're welcome to solicit or post your job as a VA on that group too. MeWe obviously is a brand new social network and and the group there is not as big, but if you are a part of the Facebook exodus, then uh, we have a place for you on MeWe. Another place you can find a virtual assistant is on Upwork. It's the most popular VA matchmaking site in the world. You post your job there for free and potential VAs will post applications to work for you. And then you pick the VA that you want to work with and then you pay Upwork and then Upwork pays the VA. 
They handle all of the tax and paperwork filing. And they also all have reviews of previous people who've worked with that virtual assistant. And it gives you a good idea of the kind of work that they do. It also handles time tracking and a lot of the technical aspects. And there are several competing sites to Upwork. They're not the only one. Guru.com is good. And there's also Freelancer and FreeUp.net. I'll have links to all of these in the show notes. Uh, the only ones I personally use are Upwork and Guru, and I have had good experiences with both of those. I can't really tell you the differences because they're very, very similar. And you'll get applications from all over the world on both of these platforms. Now, you can say, I only want to work with people in my own country, but I wouldn't put that uh, necessarily because there's a lot of really talented people around the world. And we'll talk about how to hire in just a second. But first, let me talk real quickly about how to pay them and how much they cost. If you hire your VA through a site like Upwork or Guru.com, all of the taxing and paperwork will be handled by that company, and they take a cut. So the VA will make less money if you hire them through Guru.com than you, they would if you hired them directly through Novel Marketing Facebook or just you know meeting somebody, some stranger. And so that's something to keep in mind. These websites, the way they pay for themselves is by taking money out of the paychecks of the virtual assistants. But they provide a lot of value for that. If you are working with VA directly, you'll need to file the 1099 paperwork yourself. You could do this yourself, but I don't recommend it. There's a website called gusto.com that handles payroll. I've been using them for over five years, and I really like them. And if your VA is a contractor, it only costs $6 a month, and they handle all of the payment. They'll do the direct deposit. They take the money out of your account. They put it into their account, and they file the 1099 at the end of the year. Easy peasy. So I'm a very happy Gusto user, and I really uh, strongly recommend them. And I have an affiliate link uh, for them. They offer an affiliate. I looked it up. They have an affiliate for their existing users. Uh, Now, if they're a W-2 employee, and they might be, depending on your state. Each state has different laws. If they're a W-2 employee, Gusto handles that as well. It's a little bit more expensive, but that is all handled through Gusto really easily. But I will say, in most states, most of the time, virtual assistants qualify as independent contractors. But you will want to check your local laws to be sure. And as far as you know, 100% of the time, foreign VAs count as independent contractors. In fact, there are no taxes on hiring a foreign virtual assistant at all. So, Which leads us into talking about how much do VAs cost. If you pay a VA uh, and they're an employee, 20% plus of the paycheck goes away in taxes. And depending on how you count, it could be quite a bit more than 20%. And so... In that regard, foreign VAs are cheaper <laughs> because they don't have that big tax chunk taken away. But there's two main things that affect the price of a VA, and those are exchange rate and experience. Let's take those in turn. So the exchange rate is how much dollars in the other country a U.S. dollar buys. And there are, in the world, strong currencies like the U.S. dollar and the euro. And there are weak currencies like Indian rupees or Filipino pesos. So one U.S. dollar by 70 rupees. So somebody who's making $5 an hour in U.S. dollars is actually making 350 rupees an hour. And so they're getting a pay boost because of the currency exchange. Now, the thing with currency exchange is that it's constantly varying. So the Indian rupee has been falling against the dollar for the last five years. And there's a really good exchange rate right now if you're buying things in India, either people's experience in time or products from India. But that could turn around. The dollar could fall and suddenly foreign VAs get very expensive. But right now, in 2020, the U.S. dollar is really strong. And historically, the U.S. dollar has been very strong. 
and the Canadian dollar's always been a little bit weaker than the United States dollar, and the euro's historically been a lot stronger, and they're falling more into parity. So that's just something to keep in mind. What currency that person is being paid in affects how much money they get. So right now, the dollar and the euro aren't exactly even. So if you're hiring a VA who's working in Europe, your one United States dollar turns into 85 cents in Europe in EU cents. <laughs> so the exchange rate does hurt you. We don't have the strongest currency in the world here in the United States. The other thing that affects the price of a virtual assistant is how much experience they have. And this is obvious, right? The more experienced and more trained somebody is, the more they are able to charge. The top VAs charge $50 an hour Sometimes a little bit more, but I feel like $50 is about the cap of how much a VA will charge and still call themselves a VA. After $50 an hour, you're paying for an expert consultant more than you're paying for a virtual assistant. And often these top VAs already work with several of the top authors in a micro niche. And so you'll find it's like, oh, all of the authors in this really small niche, they're all working with the same VA. And that VA is able to command a really premium price because one of the services that the VA offers is helping the authors work with each other on coordinated bundles and deals and promotions, right? It's really easy to do a coordinated bundle with a bunch of other authors if you're all using the same VA. VA already knows each one of you, already knows your books, and you're able to do it with very little work, and that is a real value add. On the low end, VAs who are just starting out and who live in low exchange rate countries might charge as little as $5 an hour. I think that's the kind of the bottom that you'll see on most sites. And you'll notice that's less than minimum wage in the United States, perhaps dramatically less depending on which state you live in. And the strategy that VAs follow is to charge a really low rate first until they're working full time. And then as the demand on their time grows, they raise their rates. So one virtual assistant may work with five or 10 different authors. And once they're working as much as they can, they start raising their rates. <laughs> as more authors are coming in, they're like, oh, I'm no longer $5 an hour, I'm $7 an hour. Oh, I'm no longer $7 an hour, I'm $15 an hour. And they work their way up into commanding more and more of a premium of their time. And they're able to justify it because they have more experience. They're able to require less training. They're able to jump right in to a task. I, I would say that most VAs that you would hire are going to charge in the $15 to $25 an hour range. Again, depending on what they're doing. Something like a podcast editor is going to cost more than a writing assistant because the skills of being a podcast editor are, are higher and there is uh, editing required, right? They have to have soft, special software to do their job and that allows them to charge a higher rate. So now let's talk about how to hire a virtual assistant. I went to business school, as you've heard me mention before on this show, and I've taught whole classes on how to hire good people. This is one of the most important skills, and according to some schools of thought, the number one most important skill of running a business is hiring good people. It doesn't matter how good I, your idea is, if you have the wrong people, your business will fail. And you can start a business with the wrong idea, and if you have the right people, you can change, and <laughs> you can pivot and do something different. And one thing that I've learned in my time hiring people, and I've hired dozens of people over the years, is that interviews are an almost useless way of determining if someone will be good at their job. Interviews tell you if somebody is good at interviewing, not if they're good at doing the job. Employers who do interviews tend to hire applicants who are a lot like them in personality, temperament, and even potentially race, age, and gender. Illegal things to hire on, and yet things you can't 
help but notice when you're conducting an interview and you're putting yourself at a disadvantage when you're hiring on these things that don't matter when there are things that matter that will affect whether or not they can do their job. You're hiring a virtual assistant, not trying to find a drinking buddy. So there's some schools of thought. It's like, would I want to get a beer with this person? That doesn't matter. It only matters if they can do the job and if they can do the job well. Like I said, interviews tell you if somebody is good at doing interviews, not if they're good at keeping track of your 27 different alien races across your 43 named planets. So how do you determine if someone is any good? You host a tryout. If you were hiring a drummer for your band or a first baseman for your baseball team, you wouldn't use an interview. You'd host a tryout because you want to know if they're actually good at their job. Well, do the same for your VA job. So how to host a tryout. Create a sample task and have all of the qualified applicants complete that sample task. Then you take a look and see who did the best job. And if necessary, you know, if a bunch of people did a really good job on that first sample task, you may create a second sample task. And the people who did a good job on the first task, you have them do the second task. And so on until you have identified the best candidate. Now, if the sample task takes more than an hour to do, you might want to pay them for their time. In fact, if you're hiring through a platform like Guru or Upwork, this is the expectation. So you hire, you know, maybe half a dozen different virtual assistants. You all give them the same project and see who does the best job with that project. And then you pay them all. Even for the one who did the very worst job, you still pay them for the hour of their time. You give them their 10 bucks or their 15 bucks or whatever they're charging an hour. And they got some experience working for you. And you got the very valuable knowledge of knowing not to hire that person. And it's really important that you give all of the VAs the same task so that you can compare them fairly. Otherwise, there may be differences. So let's say you're turning podcast episodes into blog posts, right? This is a, a common thing that podcasters are looking for, and it's a, a skill a lot of VAs can do. If you give each VA a different podcast to transcribe, because you're like, well, I'm paying for it anyway. I might as well use these transcriptions. It's a real easy temptation. The problem is, is that some of those transcriptions are going to be harder or different from one reason or another, and now it makes it harder for you to determine whether or not this person is good at doing their job or not. So instead, you, you get them all to do the same transcription and then which one you would actually want to use on your blog, that's the VA you should hire. All right, so now you've identified the kind of VA you want to work. You've figured out how much you can afford. You've hired somebody who fits inside your budget and they're amazing. Now, how do you actually delegate tasks to the virtual assistant? Well, I have a four-step process to help you with the delegation. And this is perhaps the most important part of this episode. And people who have had bad experiences working with VAs, typically they had a bad experience because they didn't follow this four-step process. This is not a secret. This is the kind of thing you learn in business school. This is the kind of thing you learn at parenting books. This is not magic, but it is important. You can't skip these steps. So let's go through the four steps of delegating tasks to a virtual assistant. Step one is you do the task yourself and document your steps. The difference between working with a VA and working with an expert like a cover designer or an editor is that the VA is taking tasks off of your plate. You can only give a task to an assistant that is a task that you can do yourself. Otherwise, they're not an assistant. And so before you can delegate the task, you need to be able to do it yourself. And as you do it, you write down the steps that you're taking to do 
that task. This document, or what's called a procedure, is really key. It's going to be helpful in every one of the following steps. In fact, you may actually want to do this first step of doing the task yourself and documenting the process before you hire the virtual assistant, because this is where you're going to get your sample task to test out your VAs. So let's say you're bringing on a VA to post to social media. Well, you create a Google document with all of the steps required to post to social media, along with any information they need right there in the document, like logins or passwords. This is one thing that gets a lot of VAs stuck, is that there's some key piece of information, often a password, that they cannot do their job without, and they can't get it from you. If you're not being responsive, and then you're unhappy with them because they're being slow when in reality you were the holdup. So you put it all in that document ahead of time. And the reason I recommend a Google Doc is so that the assistant can keep it up to date and so that you can both see the same version of the procedure at the same time. And it won't take long for your VA to get better than you at the task, and you want them to tweak the process accordingly. This also allows both of you to be on the same page the whole time. So emailing Word documents back and forth, you may be on version one and they're on version seven, A, and it gets really confusing, right? People who email Word documents back and forth end up with file names like final, final version two. <laughs> it's not a good way to coordinate or collaborate. Another benefit of having clear steps is that it helps with any cultural differences that there may be with you and your VA. In my experience, a clear series of well-documented steps transcends any culture. And the more you're expecting the VA to figure out things on their own, the more, the, if their culture is different, they may do it differently than what you're expecting. And that's where the tension comes in. And that's the kinds of people who don't have a documented process are the kind of people who say, only hire people from insert their country because everyone else is a bozo. They don't know what they're talking about. It's like, no, that's not the problem. The problem is working with you is so complicated. Somebody has to be from your culture just to understand what you want. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. <laughs> Create a documented process. And this also helps if the VA gets a new job or if you grow the VA's responsibilities and you need to bring in a new VA to take some tasks off the VA's plate, which happens. I know successful authors who have a whole team of five, six, seven people that they work with doing different things. And as your organization grows, that document becomes more and more valuable as more and more people work on it. So it's a really valuable document to create. And it's even valuable for you <laughs> if you forget. Like, how, what was the procedure for posting a podcast? I don't remember. So you've gotten your process. You've demonstrated your own competence. The step two is you do the task while the virtual assistant watches. So you're going to pull up your document, your, Word, your Google document, and you're going to go through and you're going to post to social media or you're going to respond to a journalist or whatever you, the task is. And you'll be on a Zoom call with the VA and they're going to watch you while you do it. And you want to encourage them to ask questions. You're going to narrate what you're doing as you're doing it. And you're going to narrate why you're doing it. The why is really important. Because if your VA knows why you're doing a step, they're less likely to forget the step themselves and more likely to improve that step as they are working the process themselves. If they know why you're trying to accomplish something, they may find a better way and then they're able to improve the document, obviously with your permission and with your input, but that's how things get better over time. Innovation, the why is so important. And you also want to ask questions like, does this make sense? All right, so as you're going through, you're, you're interacting with the VA and, and making sure it makes sense. The VAs, in my experience, they're always nodding. And they're like, yep, yep, makes sense. This looks really easy, which is why you do step three. 
do not skip step three. And that is the VA then does the task and you watch. So this is where uh, you're still on the Zoom call. Sometimes it's the same Zoom call. Sometimes it's the later Zoom call. And you're going to then give the document to the VA and they're going to do it. And you're going to quietly watch them. And, you know, praise them as they're doing things well. And if they're doing something differently than you did it, don't jump in and criticize them because you don't know necessarily that your way is better. Instead, ask them why they're doing it a certain way. You're, the whole goal here is for understanding. You're not trying to create a robot who's mindlessly following steps. You're trying to use the steps to create understanding. And you want to ask them why they went about something and then listen to their reasoning. Then you have a discussion. And more often than not, especially if they're a less expensive VA, you're going to end up having them follow your steps. But it's better to have that conversation, I've found. And don't assume you know it all. Because I keep getting reminded that I don't. Uh, keep a close eye on the procedure document as they're going through the procedure. Make sure they're following it very closely. And it's not too late to change the process. And often what will happen in step three is that you will find steps in the procedure that you forgot to write down. They were just implied in your head, and this is your chance to be like, oh yeah, you have to also go and do this thing, or you also have to do this step, or ask this question, and you put that in there. Sometimes the procedure doc will have whole emails in it. So for I, I work with a producer, and she sends emails to guests of my other podcast, and I have pre-written emails for the five emails. There's the, hey, do you want to come on the podcast email? There's the, hey, interview is on such and such time email, and we have drafted emails. Now, she doesn't necessarily just copy and paste these, but they act as a starting point. And you know what? I use those same emails as a starting point back when I did the job myself, <laughs> because having a procedure helps even if you are your own virtual assistant. Everyone talks about how great it is to be your own boss, and no one talks about how terrible it is to be your own employee. So you want to be a good employee to yourself and follow your own procedure document. All right, so you've now watched the VA do it. They've demonstrated that they are able to do it. Finally, step four, the VA does the work. Most of the time, things are running smoothly at this point. So while you're micromanaging and really looking over their shoulder in step three, ultimately, to get any benefit from having the VA doing the work, you got to be willing to step back. Now, in my experience, bosses are either really good at stepping back or really good at micromanaging and doing the training. And to be a really good boss, you've got to be able to do both depending on the state of the virtual assistant and once they're ready. People want help when they need help, but they also want you to get out of their way so that they can do their job. No one likes having their boss breathing down their neck all the time. So don't be that boss. <laughs> and if you did steps one through three well, you won't need to be all up in your VA's business. You know, you'll check in periodically, you'll ask questions and praise good work and give tips and feedback, but you're not watching them every time and you're not micromanaging how they do things. And so just think about the best boss you ever had and then try to be like that boss. And remember, the whole goal of this process is to give you more time to write. So get back to the writing. This episode is brought to you by the Author Media Mastermind Groups. If you want to be able to text me personally with your questions, if you want my help on your publishing goals, if you want me to get to know you and you to get to know me, we have private mastermind groups where I work with authors in a really small context. And we have a messaging app that you have on your phone that I check so you can just message me if you have a question. It's also on the computer. It's called Slack. A lot of you, I'm sure, are already familiar with Slack. We have a Slack channel just for the Author Media Mastermind group. And we have a couple of spots that are open right now. We have four spots open in the nonfiction podcasting group, and we have one spot open in the fiction 
group, the pre-published fiction group. The published group is full. It will probably be full for a while because the people in the pre-published group are getting published and are graduating into the published group. So if you have any questions, you want to learn more about the Author Media Mastermind group, you can find out more at authormedia.com. I'll also have a link in the show notes. I'd love to help you with your publishing goals. And as things get more complicated, it is nice to be able to pick other people's brains. And you're not just picking my brain, but you're also picking the brains of the other masterminds. It's a really great community. We have some really savvy folks in there and we would love for you to be a part of it. We also have a waiting list if you want to join one of the full groups and get on the waiting list if you want to get into one of those groups and we'll let you know when they open up. Our featured patron today is Shauna Letelier, author of Remarkable Advent. With breathtaking imagery and captivating storytelling, Remarkable Advent will prepare your heart to celebrate God's greatest gift with 25 daily readings for your family. Rediscover the wonder of the Christmas in this Advent devotional. And thank you, Shauna, for being a patron of the podcast, helping keep the show on the air. And if any of you are looking for something to help make Christmas special this year, I do encourage you to check out Remarkable Advent. And if you want to become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can do that at patreon.com. And remember, if you're looking for a VA or if you're looking to get a job as a VA, do come to the Novel Marketing Facebook group. I encourage you to find each other, both authors who are needing help and authors who are wanting to offer help. Uh, We work better when we work together. It's the body helping itself. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We need other people to do the things we're not good at. You've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To get the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically in a podcast app like CastBox or Apple Podcast, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.